Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Protests continue today across the country after the release of video of the fatal police beating of Tyree Nichols. Body cam footage shows Nichols being brutally beaten, tased, and pepper sprayed by five police officers in Memphis. Nichols was taken to the hospital, where he died three days later. He was 29 years old. Here in the Chicago area, residents have been holding vigils and demonstrations, with more scheduled for this afternoon and evening. We'll hear from some of those organizers in just a few moments. First, we turn to Sharon Fairley from the University of Chicago Law School. She's the former head of IPRA, Chicago's Independent Police Review Authority. I want to start by just getting your reaction to that footage that was released. Did you watch? I did watch it one time through. That that was all I, I could muster. Yeah. You know, obviously, it's, it's shocking. It's heartbreaking. It's frustrating, disappointing. Just so, so, so many things you could say about it. So many things. Yeah. I mean, and in comparison to, say, the Laquan McDonald shooting that happened here in Chicago, the video was released without much pushback from the police department. So what do you make of that? Well, I think that they realized that they that they had to be transparent about what happened here because it's it's just much it's so important for the community. They would have really had a problem with with trust of the community if, if they had tried to to keep this under wraps wraps any longer than was absolutely necessary. It's my understanding that they released it as soon as they had gotten to a point where their investigation, where they had interviewed you know all the witnesses that they needed to interview before. The, the video was released. And then after that, they let the video go out. And that's really the smart way to do it. Yeah. Just uh, in comparison, right, the, the body cam footage of Laquan McDonald, that wasn't released until more than a year later and after a court order. And uh, the body cam footage of George Floyd's killing was released much later as well. You know, one video more than two months later, this was under a judge's order. And the rest was released, what, 10 months later. This was at uh, Derek Chauvin's trial. How would you rate the city of Memphis and how they're handling this situation? Well, I think all the law enforcement entities involved here have done the right thing in in that they took action swiftly. So that includes the department conducting their administrative investigation and then taking action to fire the officers involved. That also includes the state's attorney's office conducting their investigation and bringing charges. Now, the investigation is still ongoing, and so there could be likely additional action taken against other police officers or other charges brought against additional individuals that were involved. We'll have to see how the whole thing plays out. But I thought that they did a great job of acting as, as quickly as they could to, to, to get justice rolling yeah. here. Yeah, well, uh, as you mentioned, five officers included that were involved. They've been indicted on several charges, including second-degree murder. We just heard today that a sixth officer was relieved of duty. Does any of this imply to you, Professor, that justice will be served here? Well, you know, it's a long way between uh, charges being brought and, and getting a conviction, as we know. Um, 
We have seen some improvement in juries' willingness to, to convict police officers. Obviously, we had the, the, the conviction against uh, Jason Van Dyke and the Laquan McDonald case, and of course, the convictions against uh, Officer Chauvin and some of his compatriots in, in Minneapolis with related to the George Floyd incident. Um, but there's still a long way to go before we get to that point. But I'm very hopeful. I think, you know, we've seen the city being really committed to ensuring justice is done here. There are protests that are being planned here in Chicago, as well as surrounding counties, all demanding police accountability. So do you think that there are lessons that CPD and the city should be learning from this most recent killing? Absolutely. So so the first thing is, I think that what we see from this incident is perhaps an unintended consequence of creating this kind of aggressive enforcement group um, that, you know, the group that these officers belong to the Scorpion group that have been created in 2021 to sort of more aggressively uh, police the areas that they called considered high crime areas. Um, and of course, when you create a group like that and you task them with being aggressive in their policing, then th- this is the kind of unintended consequence that can happen. The other thing is these officers, what they did, I mean, obviously the use of excessive force was egregious, but they seemed to do it thinking that they were doing it with impunity. Like what made them think that they could get away with it? Mm-hmm. And so then we're asking the questions around what is going on with the accountability system, um, you know, in, in, in that department. And, and so we, you know, other law enforcement leaders, I hope, are asking that same question. Is the culture of my agency and the system that I have here strong enough to 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 uh, to really provide accountability in that kind of situation. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad you brought that point up and I mean if you can clarify for me you you mentioned that this kind of stems from an unintended consequence. I mean, when I watched that video professor, they had a lot of intention while beating Tyree. What when I when I when I used that term I I meant, you know, with the, the, the police chief, when she came on, she was relatively new. And one of the first things she did was to create this Scorpion unit. Yeah. And when I say unintended consequence, that's what I mean. As from, you know, a lot of times law enforcement, when they ha- are having a hard time dealing with crime and violent crime, and many cities are these days, their tendency is to go for more and more aggressive law enforcement, enforcement action, policing in, in these areas. And that's what this is. This is what I think may be an unintended consequence of when you task officers and you go tell them, go out there and be aggressive. Right. That then you can get police behavior that is too aggressive. Yeah. So that that's what I meant by unintended consequence. Thanks for, for clarifying. And crime. Right. That's been a major issue in this city. Mayoral candidates have been talking a lot about it right now as we gear up for our uh, municipal elections at the end of February. Many of the candidates have said that they want to increase the number of police officers and, you know, they want to expand the department and maybe even give officers more power and, you know, wanting to have uh, one candidate mentioned wanting officers to be able to chase criminals down like rabbits. So do you think that this incident should make candidates like that reconsider? I think that this incident is important for everyone to to take stock of and in terms of figuring out what kind of policing they want in their communities and and figuring out what we can do and take the anger that we experience from this incident, translate it into activism 
um, and then make things happen with, when it comes to police reform. That's one of the biggest lessons that I took away from the George Floyd incident is that once that anger was translated into activism, really important improvements happened. We saw state law change across the nation when it comes to use of force. We saw state law change with regard to decertification of officers. We saw a conversation happening at the national level about policing that really had not happened before. And so if we take this incident again and try to turn it into an opportunity to get people engaged on these topics, I think that's the big opportunity here. Yeah. Well, your final thoughts, Professor, on what needs to be done to really just hold law enforcement accountable and prevent these tragedies from happening. They keep happening. Yeah. So I think one of the things that we can observe from from this particular incident is there is there still an issue with it, the us versus them mentality in, in policing. And, um, you know, this is a this is a, a cultural issue that we've been grappling with for, you know, years, if not decades. Um, and so you know, changing the culture of a police department is a long-term effort. It cannot be done overnight. And so in order to avoid this from continuing to happen, we need strong policies and accountability systems to enforce those policies. If you can't change the attitudes right away, you have to change the behavior by enforcing policies, and that's use of force policies, as well as the duty to intervene policies, which is which was implicated in George Floyd and also implicated in this situation. That was Sharon Fairley, professor from practice at the University of Chicago School of Law. Thank you so much, Professor. Thank you. Take care. Before we hear from our next guest, Mayor Lori Lightfoot released a statement on Friday on this killing, saying, quote, Make no mistake, what happened to Tyree was a horrific, unconscionable, and preventable act of violence carried out by those sworn to serve and protect. Now, as we know all too well, tragic incidents like these not only send ripples of anguish across our country, but further erode trust between law enforcement and communities, especially those that are black and brown. Let's turn now to another voice. Joining us is Damon Williams, co-founder of the Let Us Breathe Collective. Welcome back to Reset, Damon. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. You know, sadly, we have seen this many times before, Damon. We've talked yeah. to you about this very thing on the show. What are you thinking about today? You know, first, obviously, thinking about the family and the community that was directly impacted by yet another act of, of tragic and destructive violence by American policing. Um, and, and, and so that is primary always. Um, and then the, the other communities and families that are triggered and traumatized by this. Uh, but then also, I think, you know, dealing with some of the frustration of where our political discourse is and the way in which, um, you know, we, I heard your last conversation, like activism has been pushing forward mm-hmm. uh, the discourse. And really a lot of the activism has been marginalized, has been co-opted, has been gaslit. Um, and so some of the, the shock of this moment, I would say, for myself and, and other organizers, is actually a little frustrating and disheartening yeah. uh, because there is nothing new about this. There is nothing, uh, very few new developments to be learned. This is actually painfully and tragically consistent with what we've been saying for the greater part of 10 years and really for 50 and 60 years. Is that what you mean by you've been gaslit? Absolutely. You know, it's, it's important to note that there's this false conception that there has been 
this great era of reform post-2020 and the, uh, the George Floyd protest, or that police have experienced this backlash or have been had their hands tied behind their back, uh, you know, pun intended. But it's important to note that across the country, after the death of George Floyd, there has been an increase of investment in policing. Um, there has been an increase in police violence. And 2022 was the, the, the year where the most police killings on record was ever uh, recorded or noted. And so we, we are not seeing any improvement. We are seeing a continuation mm -hmm. uh, of, of what has been happening my entire lifetime. Uh, but what we have seen is a, is a disregard of the real political demand to start reinvesting resources into community um, and starting to look at what policing really is as a destructive institution. So it sounds like you're saying you haven't, as activists, seen the reform that you're calling for, that, that the Justice Department itself has even called for. No, absolutely not. You know, I think I think it was a lot of performative actions, kneeling with Kente Claus on Capitol Hill. Uh, but, the, you know, the, 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 mm -hmm. the act that was passed in George Floyd's name was a pro-police budget inflating bill. So, so it's really actually really perverse that in the name of people who have lost their lives to policing, uh, more power and more resources and more protection have gone to police to continue to violently terrorize communities. Yeah. I saw the most accurate visualization of, of this cycle on, on Twitter last week that I, I couldn't seem to find before having this conversation with you, Damon. But it's, it was talking about how the, these incidents seem like they create a somewhat predictable cycle, right? The, mm -hmm. A video comes out. Mm -hmm. Then you've got big reaction. Right. Lots of coverage. Mm -hmm. Then not a ton of coverage. Mm -hmm. As an activist who is fighting for police accountability, give us your thoughts on, on how we all as a society react to these moments of police violence. Yeah, you know, I think we live in a media-dominated society, and a lot of our attention span and our consciousness and our discourse is dominated by the things that are on, you know, national news networks or the things that, you know, happen to go viral on social media. Uh, and it's very easy uh, for folks to dismiss or move past um, you know, this, this issue that is daily, like I said, around three people a day in this country are killed by police. Uh, and most people don't know that. Most people only know the names that, that go viral. And so then there's this false conception because people have seen so much activity. And then really what gets absorbed more is, uh, is you know, what we would call counterinsurgency or propaganda to demonize protests, to, to criminalize victims and survivors of police violence. Um, and this notion that there's been too much of a, a shift back in the other way, and people kind of go on about their day and go to the, to the next news source while not understanding that, one, this is continuing to happen, and two, this is going to take a lot of commitment for folks to build new community structures and figure out how to create new relationships with each other, because um, what we hope in these moments is that people have a, a sober structural analysis that policing is not solving violence. Policing is bringing more violence. Um, and so even when we start to, you know, the conversations always almost inappropriately go to crime. When someone is killed by police, we start talking about crime in ways that, that are, are really, I think, perpetuating the violence. Uh, but even if we want to have that conversation, we need to understand that there's actually no evidence <laughs> that hyperinvestment in police or more police presence reduces crime. Actually, there's a lot of evidence to the contrary. So we've got a, a mayoral election coming up and Absolutely. policing has been one of the main issues, as you can imagine. What do you think the next mayor of Chicago needs to do? Um, I think the treatment, not trauma ordinance is one very tangible 
you know, well-organized effort that thousands of, of citizens around the city um, won signed petitions for and went in three wards and voted an overwhelming 90 percent um, uh, majority for a redirection from police resources into mental, public mental health infrastructure um, to have mental health professionals respond to mental health issues, because actually most police calls are around disturbances, mental health issues, or, or you know, obviously, you know, traffic interactions. Um, and so what mayoral candidates should do is start to look at what are the communal investments they can make, what restorative programs can we invest in, what food and mutual aid programs, what domestic violence survivor programs can we invest in, because there are community organizers, there are, you know, first responders beyond what we have accepted to be first responders that are actually practiced in showing up for people, um, and the police are practiced in the opposite. They Can you highlight, how about you highlight some of those, some of those organizations and, and uh, actions taking place here in Chicago? I would highlight the work of Good Kids Mad City. I would highlight the work of the Let Us Breathe Collective, which I'm a co-founder of, and our, our Liberation Landing Campus that houses and feeds folks off of 51st and Bishop. I would really like to highlight the Chicago Torture Justice Center, an organization that came out of an ordinance of reparations for police torture, um, and they provide mental health services, art therapy, um, as well as other you know housing and em- employment support uh, for people who have actually been impacted by police violence. Um, and so we need we need you know the, the sad thing is there is. Not enough investment, but those are definitely uh, three organizations that are doing great work. Also, you know, Chicago Alliance Against Racism and Political Repression, uh, as well as Black Lives Matter Chicago and Asada's Daughters. That was Damon Williams, co-founder of the Let Us Breathe Collective. Thank you so much for your time, Damon. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right, we turn now to another voice demanding justice and more police accountability. With me now is Clyde McLemore, founder of the Lake County Chapter of Black Lives Matter. Welcome back to the show, Clyde. How you doing? Thank you. And thank you for having me. Sure, sure. I'll start by asking you how you are today. What's on your mind after the release of that video on Friday? Well, um, I was really upset. I just want to thank that Shelby County District Attorney, Steve Maroy, for stepping up and releasing those videos in the due time. And I want to make a call to all the district attorneys and state's attorneys to start releasing the videos uh, of of these police shootings and killings here uh, in the country, all around the country. You all have a demonstration that's coming up shortly. What do you have planned? Well, we just we're doing a press conference to give our condolences to the Wells family, and also, like I said, we're doing a, a call to all the state's attorney and district attorneys for them to do their job as they was elected and release any footage in these police shootings. All you know, we ask our elected officials also to allow this to be a wake up call to get rid of qualified immunity. Those police officers uses uh if you watch tape four of the Tyree Nichols uh uh footage. Yes. You saw where they started to come with their lot. Oh he grabbed my gun. Two officers stated that that uh Tyree had grabbed a gun, but we watched the first three videos at no time did Tyree ever go for the gun. He ran for the safety of his life. He was trying to make it home to his mama. You know, so mm-hmm. he could get some help. So, and, and that, that's how qualified immunity works. Uh, police say that, and they use that around the country. 
and no charges are ever filed on a lot of the Achilles of young people. Yeah. Your speaker that was on, Damien Williams, said it, said it best. There's so many that we don't know about have happened to that I have investigated, such as the one we had here in Lake County on October the 20th, Marcella Sinet. He was killed being a passenger in the car where the police shot at the car, and he was a passenger. It took us two years to get that officer charged, and right today, still, no body count uh, uh, footage from, from his murder yeah. has, has been released. We'll leave it there. Stay safe, Clyde. That's Clyde McLemore, founder of the Lake County Chapter of Black Lives Matter. Thank you so much for checking in with us. Thank you. This episode of Reset was produced by Andrew Merriweather, and it was edited by Ethan Schwab. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.